0: to constantly be reminded of the need to press forward with the work around the world and here. And um, I I just... I'm reminded as Nathan was speaking, we have been richly blessed in this church in many ways. We not only have people that we've been able to send out from our own midst in short-term missions trips and long-term trips, but we also have uh, have had visitors come and be a part of our fellowship. And I, I don't know how many of you have met Pastor Nathaniel Wilson. Uh, he's in the back here, in the back row here, and Pastor Wilson is from Liberia. And I've introduced him to you before. In a few weeks, he's going to be leaving to return to Liberia for the summer. And I've asked him to take the Sunday morning message that Sunday on June 7th and to bring the Word of God to us, open the Word of God to us before he goes. Then we want to pray for him as we send him off for the summer. And uh, I just hope that you understand that our vision here is for this city, for this community, and also for the world. And we don't know where God is calling some of you it's it's always difficult to say goodbye but we know that god is doing his work and he's doing it in small ways and large ways all around us and we we always want to be a part of that so never ever think that this is the whole thing you come you you learn and then you go home and you say wasn't that good like i had a nice big meal today and then you you sit back and watch television and forget i'm reminded two people i I talked to in the last uh, couple days that just reminded me so much I was talking to a man who uh, I sat next to, and he, I, I'd never met him before, and so we were kind of introducing ourselves to one another, and I got to talk with him a little bit. And I asked him what his occupation was, and he told me what it was. And then I said, well, what's your favorite hobby? What do you do for fun? And the thing he did next surprised me uh, to no end, because he started crying. And, and I didn't know what I had said. I didn't know that I had offended him or what I had done. And he said it it took him a number of minutes uh, to regain his composure. And he said that I'm a dentist and I go to Haiti. That's my hobby. I go and care for people in Haiti who are in deep poverty. And I take care of them. And it moved him so much to even think about the needs of people. And that, that he, as I said, he stopped, he couldn't talk for, for a while because it, it touched him so deeply. He's a man who understands that God has gifted him, and his gifting is not just so that he can make money. That's part of it. He can care for his family, but also that he has something he needs to share with other people. That's clarity. That's clarity. I also was talking to another young man on another day um, and, and just amazed at the working that God is doing in his life He is married to a woman who's not a believer, and he just came to know the Lord in the last year, and he is so burdened for his wife and his children. I had given him, I brought a DVD along as I knew I'd be talking with him. I said, here, take this. Your wife might not read the Bible right now, but this is the story of the Bible, and it's dramatized, and maybe she'll look at it. And he just thanked me over and over again for that. The, The work never stops. There's always opportunity everywhere you go to reach people, to encourage people, to build them up in the Lord, and and you just never stop it. Now, we're looking in the book of Ephesians, and the book of Ephesians is Paul, as we saw, like, Benny read for us like an email from Paul. That's how it would have been sent out today if Paul was writing. He would have sent out an email message, and it would have been distributed. Well, the message in the letter to the Ephesians is shared to us. We're looking over, reading someone else's mail. And we're richly blessed by this. And I hope that as, as we are, are working through Ephesians that, <clears throat> that you have a sense in your heart that, that this, is, this is so significant that you just can't not share it with someone. And if you, if you don't go away from here feeling that I've got to tell someone about this, then, then I've either failed in communicating or you're, you're not paying attention enough, you're more worried about what's going to happen later on, uh, and, and you're not listening to God. You need to hear him talk. We have this visual aid for us through this series of a treasure chest. It's just as I thought about the book of Ephesians. It is like a treasure chest that you open it up and there are all kinds of things in there that are of incredible value. And so Paul started chapter 1 of Ephesians talking about the richness of the blessings that you have in Christ Jesus now. If you are in Christ... You are blessed already in heavenly places. In other words, you're ready for heaven and the overflow is already showing up in your life right now. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, Paul starts out by saying you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Just so you don't lose perspective, so you don't think that you came to this place because there's something in you. That God just needed you. No, it's because God loved you incredibly. And you were dead. And he reached out and he sent his son and he gave you life those are the first two chapters paul ended chapter 2 talking about how he brought together god has brought together in jesus christ two groups that were far apart and he's talking about the jews those who were his chosen people to whom the the message of the word of god first came and then he said the gentiles and i would assume that that's everybody in this room i don't know all of you but Probably we are in the Gentile group. And the message that was given to the Jews was also sent out far beyond them into all the world. That's the treasure, the rest of the treasure. We live in a time when when the world is is in turmoil constantly. If you read the newspaper, you, you just get a sense that everything's a mess. There's always something threatening us. There's always some danger that's imminent. We got swine flu, and they're interviewing churches and saying, "Well, what are you going to do in church? Are you going to shake hands? Yeah, we're going to shake hands. You know, it's, you know, are, are you going to not have communion? No, we're going to have communion. You know, it's it's. It seems like everybody's always worried about safety, you know, and security, and so some threat comes up in the world, and yes, this is a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place to live. This is not a safe life. That's why you need a savior. So that when these threats come along, you have the means, you have security, you have something that you don't have anywhere else. When your finances hit the bottom and you read that statement, you say, well, there goes retirement, at least early retirement's out, you know, or any retirement for now, so what? Do you think it's the goal in life that you get to a place where you stop working and just go put your feet in the water and, and you sit there until you die? That's no life. There's more to life. There's more to life, to live. There are people to reach. There's a gospel to share. There are threats in this world. This world is a dangerous place. It's a mess. But don't be afraid. Because God is in control. He has not for one millisecond lost control. He has not let go of anything. He has not let go of any atom or any molecule that that is necessary for his purposes, and he never will. He never will until the time comes when he says, okay, it's over. And he folds it all up. Between here and there, where's your hope? Between here and there, where's the power in your life? Where is the source by which God motivates you and moves in you, and through you, he works to reach and change the world? What's your source of power? I was thinking about this next chapter in chapter 3, and, and Paul talks about the uh, mystery of the gospel. He speaks about the mystery of the gospel. And uh, we, we like these words, mysteries. We, we like that word, mystery. Uh, Agatha Christie made a career out of writing mysteries. And they're still being reproduced today, visually and, and uh, in plays. We love mysteries. Mysteries. And Paul was writing to the Ephesian people, and you remember the Ephesian city, the city of Ephesus, was a superstitious city. They were spiritual in the sense that they were spiritually minded, but they were looking at everything except the truth at everything except the Word of God. They were looking to idols and images, and they had all these offerings they would bring to the image of Artemis, and and they would uh, bow down to Caesar and worship his image and call him God. They knew everything except the truth. And so Paul says, I'm writing to you about a mystery. I'm going to tell you a mystery, and I want you to understand it. Now, when I thought about the, the power of what we're Looking at today. I wanted to say well, I wanted to think of what's an image that would give me a sense of power And I thought well, how about a power strip? We know what power strips are We, we know how these things work. We have devices and we plug them in here and we plug this in somewhere and we and we and we have power distributed I Thought that's probably a pretty good image of, of what Paul is saying here We have this mystery and power is a mystery. I don't know if there are any electrical engineers here, uh, but how, how does it work? How how does this stuff get from somewhere out there and come through wires and end up here and then doing work for you and I? So we can take this power and put it to work somewhere. We can take a a light and, and we can put the light somewhere where we need to have light shed. And we can plug it into the power strip and we can say, okay, now, come on. Give me power! Give me light! Come on! Oh, well, it's not plugged in. Well, let, let's plug it in here. Let's plug the power strip in right here. It doesn't work. He said, "Well, of course, dummy. You know that. You know we know how it works. The power can't come from here. It can't. It's not in the strip. The power strip distributes the power, but there's no power in the power strip. The power strip." Can only distribute the power that's given to it. It has to come from another place. And so you have to find a place where there's power. Ah. So the power went to the strip and now it's working for us. It's giving us light. You don't have the power in yourself. You're not the source of power. Some of you hardly have the energy to get out of bed in the morning. A, you know, don't, don't think you've got a source of power anywhere. You're not the source of power, but the Spirit of God living in you, and Paul said that in chapter 1, he said that when you trust in Jesus as your Savior, you are indwelled. The Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. And if you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, you have a source of power to do work. Power that will work for you and for God. And so the message that Paul has to us in, in the book of Ephesians is all about the, the distribution of God's power. And chapter 3, then, if you turn there, there with me, and I just want to read the first paragraph. Paul says, for this reason, whenever you see that, because your Bible was not... When Paul wrote this, he didn't put chapter 3, verse 1 on it. You know, he was writing a letter the way you and I write letters. And so he didn't break it up that way. He finished a thought at the end of what we call chapter 2, and he said, now, for this reason... And so when you see that, what happens to our minds is we start chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason, and we keep reading. Well, no, we have to go back and say, what reason? What's he talking about? Well, he said in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, he spoke about the fact that the two, the Jew and the Gentile, were made one... Through the power of God, through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, a miracle happened. Two things that were totally separate became one. And Paul says, now, for this reason, because God has made the two that were so diametrically opposed and so different from one another and could not come together of their own power, because God has made those two one. He said, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... Now, now, Paul is so much like you and I. He wrote this, and he starts out, and he's saying, okay, because of God's work to bring the Jew and the Gentile together into one body through faith in Jesus Christ, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then you see in this translation, there's a dash there. And Paul kind of goes off now. He's going to go off for a couple of paragraphs, and he's going to talk about something else. He said, I'm writing this. And, and, and he didn't do it on a, on a word processor, you know, so he just b- delete it and go start over again on it. He just kept writing. And so he said, for this reason, I, Paul, an apostle to the Gentiles, uh, a prisoner for, for, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he says, assuming that you heard. Now, he doesn't go all the way until till you get back to verse 14. When you get down to verse 14, Paul goes back to what he started to say in verse 1. He just takes a little side trip. And so we start with this, with Paul's side trip. And he said, now, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's a mystery. It's something that's never been revealed before until this time. A mystery is a secret. It's something that's covered up. It's something that's unknown. And Paul says now, The gospel is God's revealed mystery. It's the mystery that that no one understood until this point. And so Paul is writing from prison. And he says that, that he was there because of his commitment to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Nothing would stop him, even the threat of imprisonment. He was going to bring the message to the Gentiles. Notice that Paul says, I am a prisoner for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. He was in a Roman prison. But he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Caesar. I'm a prisoner of Rome. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ. He understood that he, his body temporarily was living in a prison cell. But he was not a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He had perspective that went beyond those walls. He understood that he was there for a reason. His body was in prison, but he was free in spirit. And we, centuries later, benefit from the time he took to write while he was there. He wrote this letter, and we get to read it now. Now, Paul says he uses the word mystery four times in just the first nine verses here. He keeps saying mystery, mystery, mystery. And, and he wants us to, to get the point here. The mystery of God's plan is unveiled. What he's trying to tell us is that... that uh, this was something that was not known. Did you ever see this TV show? They they have a hooded magician. I don't remember the name of the show, but he reveals how it's done. I love that show. I, I love it. What is it? Yeah, magic revealed. Okay, and I, I love it. They show you know they show how uh, how people appear to pass through walls and and uh, they, they shoot an arrow at a guy and it doesn't go. It looks like it goes right through him without harming him. I, Ooh, that's cool. How do they do that? I love the mystery revealed. I love to see it. I like to see the, the act, and I go, ooh, how they, you know, that's wonderful, but I love to know how do they do it. Paul is revealing the mystery. And he said that the only way you're going to know the mystery of the gospel is if God shows it to you. You're not going to figure it out. No one sat down and said, well, let's see, we've got the Jews here, we've got the Gentiles over here. How are we going to get them together? Nobody on earth did that. God already had a plan. And he brought it together... And he had the plan that he brought it together in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died, he died for sinners. And he died for Jewish sinners. And he died for Gentile sinners. And by faith in Christ as their Savior, they were made one. Part of the same body. The mystery of the gospel was revealed. And God had to reveal it to him. I don't know if it impresses you what Paul is saying here. Until this time... It was not known what God was doing, not clearly. It wasn't clearly known. You and I have an incredible advantage. We have an advantage that the people that just before Paul was writing this didn't have. In fact, we have an even greater advantage than Paul. We know some things. We know some things that Isaiah did not know. We know things that Jeremiah did not know. We know things that all the prophets at different times did not know. You know things that they didn't know. They wrote about these things. Isaiah could write chapters 52 and chapter 53 uh, about the suffering servant, but he didn't understand it. He He didn't know who this could be. It wasn't clear to him. You know things that the prophets didn't know. You know things that Moses didn't know. You know these things. You should be impressed with you. Well, it's not you. It's because God told you those things. He revealed the mystery. You know what not even the angels knew until the day that God revealed it. And that delights the angels to this day. Peter wrote about this same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1. He wrote this. He said, "...concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired diligently inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, the prophets were not serving themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And this last phrase, things which angels long to look into. You know things that the angels didn't know for all the countless ages that went before God created the earth. The angels didn't know what God was doing. It wasn't revealed. But he's told you. You know things the angels didn't know. Pretty good. Pretty impressive. You know things that God only revealed in the last days, in the recent days, relatively recent days. And the thing that amazes me is that there are some Christians who take this wonderful news, this astounding knowledge that God is making available to you, and you would rather sit down and watch some video somewhere. And you'd rather do anything except look into the Word. You'd rather take time and put it in other places, invest it in other places, and kind of get this attitude, well, that's nice, and what have you done for me lately? What he's done for you is he saved your soul from hell. And he's keeping you day by day, keeping you until the day when he's going to redeem that inheritance that he's promised to you. You're going to receive it. How much effort do you put into looking into this wonderful gift of salvation? When do you study it? Do you anticipate Sunday morning as, as something that, oh, I can't wait to get there? I can't wait to see and hear it again. I can hear it during the week on the radio, and I can watch TV shows and hear about it, but I can hear it again. And I can do it amongst my brothers and sisters. I can do it in a a body of believers that that we care for one another, we love one another. And I can do it in that context. I can't wait to get here. Or do you dread it? Kind of like taking some bad-tasting medicine. I've got to go to church. Maybe, maybe I can find a reason not to go this week. Oh, did you sniffle? Oh, maybe we shouldn't go this week. I heard that. that that's kind of the attitude. And Paul, writing to these people to the, in the city of Ephesus, this growing church in the midst of all this pagan opposition, and he was writing to them about the treasures that God has for them, that God has revealed to them. And Jesus admonishes every person that there's a proper priority to living life. You remember that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else, all the other stuff, will be given to you. But put put first things first. First things are eternal things. There will come a day in your life, there will come a moment, in which you will look back over your whole life, and you will say, what did it matter? And you will say, the only thing that matters to me at this moment... Is what I know about eternity. Because that's where I'm going. I'm about to enter. And at that moment, you will look back hopefully and say, oh, thank God, I know what I know. But some, even some of God's people will say, oh, if only I knew more. If only I didn't waste my time on other stuff, in the pursuit of other things, live life with a priority. Well, there is also this mystery. The mystery of the unity of believers. And Paul says this in verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. All the things that God promised to the people of Israel who by faith believed in the coming of the Messiah, those same promises are available to you. God placed the People of Israel in a special place in his heart. There are several places in the Old Testament where they are called, they are referred to as the apple of his eye. Did you ever hear that saying? The apple of his eye. You ever think of what in the world does that mean? Got an apple in your eye? What are we talking about here? That doesn't make any sense when you think about it, but we all know what we mean. When someone says, she is the apple of his eye, or that child is the apple of his eye, we know what that means because it comes out of the Bible, and we understand the meaning of it. It's come down into our culture. We know that that means that it's that's, that's got a special place in that person's uh, heart, in your heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 32... Moses was writing, he said he found him, talking about Israel, he found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. What's the apple of your eye? The apple of your eye is the center of your eye. It's the place, the pupil of your eye. It is the the center of your eye. Now, there's something about that in in the, the image to me. The, the image is one of nearness. There's nothing nearer to you than right in the middle of your eye. It's the place that you focus. It's what you're looking at. And, of course, God, in talking about Israel as the apple of his eye, it was the place that gave him pleasure to look at them. It was also a place of very sensitivity. I remember in the, in the story The Hiding Place about Corrie ten Boom and her family, and they lived in Holland during the Nazi occupation, and they were hiding Jews to protect them from the Nazis. And as they did that, her father one day, Corey's father one day, said that they should pray for the Nazis. And she said, pray for the Nazis, these brutes who are are killing our land. We should pray for them. And her father said, yes, we should pray for them because they have touched the apple of God's eye. They have put out their hand against God's favorites. And do you think they're going to get away with that? Do you think there will not be something that happens? Uh, And so the the people of Israel were the apple of his eye. And, And God has brought you together, and the promises that were given to the favorites, to his favorites, were also now extended to you through Christ Jesus. You've been given that. And it's such a wonder that God has allowed us to join in with his chosen people, to receive the promises that he made as joint heirs, equals, not... Come lately, so, oh, these guys, they came along at the end. No, God says, you get the same thing. All that I promise, all that I have in mind for my children, you get that. Well, Now, verse 7. Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul said he's the least of all the saints. He never lost sight of the fact that he was a murderer. He never lost sight of the fact that he didn't deserve anything from God. He had killed, not just indiscriminately, he had killed very focused. He killed those who professed to follow Jesus. He attacked the church. He attacked God's children. And he never got over this. And When he wrote to Timothy, he said the same thing again. He said, I'm the least of, of, of all the saints. I'm the chief of sinners. And yet God put me in a place to give me the opportunity to share this wonderful gospel message that saves sinners from hell. Well, I think that uh, we should all learn from Paul and realize that uh, we are not necessary to God's plan. God can use anyone, and he will use anyone, and he'll use anyone to deliver his message to any place he wants it delivered. Um, He'll use anyone. God made Paul a minister. Paul didn't choose it. God drew him into the ministry and gave him something to do. When God calls you to do something, he equips you to do it. He gives you the means to do it. It's all the more reason to study the Bible. It's, it's your tool. It's, your, it's the way that you learn to think like God and to share that with others. Well. Paul continues here, and he said, Now, to bring light for everyone through uh, everyone what is the plan of the mystery, here's that word mystery again, hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's talking about the angels again. He's talking about the angels that, that they now understand things because they watch you, and they watch you caring for one another. They watch his, God's church at work. And they now the angels understand things that they couldn't understand fully. They couldn't understand these things fully because they, they, they didn't see the picture. But now they see the picture of the church and they understand more fully what God is doing. The existence and the vitality of the church declares the wisdom of God to the angels. What you do here... an impact in eternity. Think about that. Your decisions, your words, your actions have an impact in the eternal realm. And it's God's intention that when the spiritual beings that surround us look at the church, they will be in awe at God's wisdom. They will be in awe of God's wisdom. I can think of times when I'm certain that heaven was celebrating what was going on here at Good News. We've had times when we just saw God at work. I think of when we walked some of our own through the door, uh, through the ravages of AIDS all the way to heaven's doors. And, and we watched parents bringing their children to care for people dying, and, and we saw the love of God given forth. And I'm sure there was a celebration in heaven of the wisdom of God when we rallied to organize the hope fest and cross street festivals and we care for people in the community and give away all kinds of stuff just so that we have the opportunity to share the gospel with some i think heaven celebrates last year we had a health fair and we had a harvest of first fruits to feed those in need and i think heaven was celebrating i think they were celebrating the wisdom of god at work in the church every time we announce the salvation of another person there's a party in heaven every time we baptize believers there's a celebration in heaven. When I see the loving care that our teachers give to their students, I believe that God is pleased. I, I believe that in heaven we, just, we, just, uh, we are sending a message there that God is wise and he works through us. I think when we help one another with moving and with job searches and housing needs and meals after surgery or illness, we are causing, giving the angels cause to celebrate the church. It's God at work in us. Well, we come to verse 11, and and Paul says that this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Boldness and access with confidence. Do you feel that you can go boldly to God? Do you have that freedom to go boldly to God? Do you know that that's what God is allowing Remember the scene in The Wizard of Oz? No one comes near Oz, right? And the, the lightning and the thunder, and, you know, and, and no one comes near Oz. That's just a fairy tale. The real awesome God allows you in his presence, he invites you into his presence. You would ordinarily die getting near him, you'd be gone. But he invites you in. You have boldness in access. Why do you have boldness? You have the boldness of your children. Your children come to you and they say, "Can I have a pony? And they really believe that if you could, you would give them a pony. They have boldness to ask for these things. Of course, later on, they have boldness to ask for your car and other things, too. You know, they have boldness because of your relationship with them. God gives you that access. Through Jesus Christ, you have boldness to come into the presence of God and to ask him, and to ask him. If that doesn't give you awe that God invites you in to his presence, he lets you come in. He asks you to come in. The author to the Hebrews wrote the same thing. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we have confidence to come into the presence of God. I've seen some believers who fear fear God so much that they would never ask Him for anything, and they never enjoy His presence, and that's wrong. You have access. I've seen other believers who are so much like the spoiled child who has no use for his parents unless he's in a crisis. What have you done for me lately? And that's wrong. You have access into the presence of the awesome God. Take the. Boldness that comes from being a child of God and apply it. With confidence, we go into the presence of God because of Jesus. John wrote the words of Jesus that said, You do not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give it to you. Some of you will want to go home and study that passage and find out what is it that he's talking about here. Well, now Paul returns to the thing he started to say in verse 14, back in verse 1, now he picks it up again. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Why? Because the mystery of God has been revealed. He says, I can't can't do anything but bow down before God. I have to give him praise. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, You need someone to pray for you that your heart would be opened up and that you would understand all that God has for you because what you think you understand is just a little tiny bit. You just see the very tip of the iceberg, so to speak. You just see the beginning of what God has for you and who he is. And you need for someone to be praying for you. We should be praying for one another, that God will help us to see the depths of what he is to us and who he is. Paul then begins to wrap all of this up. In verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I call this message the wildness of God's imagination. Beyond what you can imagine, whatever you think that God could do, he can do far more than that. What's the the biggest thing you think of that God could do? He's far beyond that. He's far beyond that. He can do more than you ask or think. Do you ever think about what would happen if so many people were saved in the Humboldt Park, Logan Square community? The whole community changes by its nature? That instead of people cursing at one another and swearing as they walk down the street and threatening one another physically, that they would walk with their arms around one another and they'd sing praise to God? Do you ever think that that could happen? How big is your imagination? God's is bigger. God's imagination is far, far bigger than that. How about that person that you know who has said that they would never find be found dead in a church? Do you think that God is able to save them? Beyond what you imagine, beyond what you ask or think. What does a six-year-old boy want for his birthday? Six-year-old boys want things like Legos, a bicycle, Thomas the Train, a DVD of a recent movie that he'll watch over and over and over again. And if he made a list, it would go well beyond this. But what if he could get more than that? What if he could get immeasurably more than he could ask or imagine? There's a little boy named Gabriel Hurley. He turned six years old, and he got immeasurably more than he could ask for. The little boy was so focused on eating his cake that he hardly noticed at his birthday party that there was a giant package in the corner of the room. When another child pointed out the large gift, Gabriel ran over and began to tear off the wrapping. It wasn't a bicycle or any other items that a six-year-old would want. It was his father, Army Specialist Casey Hurleys, home on leave from the war in Iraq. Gabriel and his father had been apart for seven months, So when Casey learned his leave would coincide with his son's birthday, he hatched the plan to offer one huge surprise to his son. Maybe you saw the video clips of that, where he just held on to his father and he just was crying and crying. It was beyond what he could imagine. When God says he wants to do through the church immeasurably more than you can ask or think. Think big. Dream well and large And know that God is going to do far more. His power of his spirit in you enables you, enables his church to do more than you ask or think. I'm going to close the day, and I hope that you take the thought with you that God has great things. And he wants to work in you and through you and do immeasurably more than anything that you could ask for, anything that you think of.